Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Val Hughes. She is a multidisciplinary scientist, a Reiki master, and the creator of Molecular Reiki. Welcome, Val. How are you today? Thank you, Brad. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited and happy to have you here. You and I have been back and forth trying to get this fucking thing done. So it's nice to finally have you here to be able to have the opportunity to sit down and chat and share all about the beautiful light you're putting out into the world and share your story and your journey. So welcome. And I'm happy to have you here. Thank you so much. So with all of that being said, you have a degree in molecular medicine. You are all of the other things I mentioned. How long have you been a scientist and what is a multidisciplinary scientist? So I've been a scientist since 2005, so about 18 years. Okay. And a multidisciplinary scientist is one that has experience in several scientific fields. So for example, my degrees are in computer science, biotechnology, and molecular medicine. So my experience spans all of those disciplines. Okay. And so what inspired your journey into the world of becoming a scientist, Val? So honestly, I originally had no plans in becoming a scientist, (laughs) but as I look back, it was essentially the path of least resistance. So the universe pushed me in this direction. I didn't have a great time getting my bachelor's degree in computers. The most random blocks would come up and one of those ended up getting me kicked out of the major and I had to reapply. However, in the biological sciences, doors would just open up for me. For example, after graduating, there were not many jobs in computers and I ended up with part-time work. However, fast forward a year or so later, and I secured a job at a leading genetics and genomics nonprofit for a laboratory position, and I had not a shred of laboratory experience. (laughs) It just happened. I was pushed in that direction. Now, were your parents involved in science in any way or anyone in your family, or was this just something that you were like the trailblazer and just jumped into science? My father is an electrical engineer by trade and then ended up going into systems test engineering. So he's always been pretty involved in the sciences, but he was the biggest influence for that. Yeah. Okay. Can you share a little bit with us about your journey and the work you do as a scientist? So while working at the nonprofit, 
I realized that I loved the biological sciences. So over there, I was cloning genes. And I ended up, while I was there, obtaining my master's degree part-time. And once I finished that degree, I decided to pursue my PhD in molecular medicine full-time. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do when I completed my degree. But looking back, I was already becoming a patient advocate without realizing it because friends of family, neighbors, they would contact me at all times asking for my opinion on medical issues. A lot of pictures <laughs> that, I, that I wasn't ready to see. Yeah, And I enjoyed this so much that before I even completed my degree, I ended up volunteering for a pediatric office and I was providing them with the same service, a lot of advice. And I also had a column in the graduate school newspaper where I would post health advice. Once I graduated, I veered off my path once again. And <laughs> I see a couple of There is. It takes a long time to, to see these patterns, but I ended up doing my postdoctoral work in biodefense for the U.S. Army. Again, things were difficult. None of my experiments were working, and I was obviously on the wrong path again. So after two years, I left and got a job as a microbiologist where I'm now working in public health. So I've been there for almost seven years already, and I've since realize that I'm on the right path because just like the nonprofit genetics job, this mm -hmm. one literally fell into my lap and yeah. it was so easy. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson. <laughs> it, sometimes it takes us a while to get to that place, right? Where we learn and we realize, okay, the path of least resistance is probably the way to go. Yes, because that's not what you hear growing up. That's you right. You hear take the road less traveled yeah. and it should be difficult. And I learned that it, it didn't need to be this difficult. All that conditioning bullshit, societal, <laughs> yep. parental, all of it. A hundred percent. Now, I know through previous conversations with you and your own personal journey and struggles that you and I are both pretty much in the same mindset when it comes to healthcare and medical systems and you're in the US, I'm up here in Canada, but I think we can both agree that the systems in both countries are severely fucking broken. Yes. Yes. And so in your opinion, I would love to hear first of all, why do you think the healthcare system is so broken? What are some of the causes behind that you think? And secondly, how do we begin to move forward and find a solution for people? I really think the current system to me, when I look at it, it's like it's almost like it's irreparable. So what are the answers here, in your opinion? What do you think? So let me first give you an example, if that's okay, of why I yeah. think it's so broken mm -hmm. through my experience. So this is a, a shortened version. So when my youngest was little, around two years old, she started waking up at night, mm -hmm. just screaming any time at night. And it would go away for a few months, and then it would happen again. And this would happen for a couple hours, and there was no way to get her to stop. By the time she was about four years old, it turned into more than a couple hours. It was up to nine hours of screaming. Wow. And it was awful. And pediatrician after pediatrician would tell us she was spoiled. That's what Spoiled? Her. That's the I mean, right, right off the bat. It's, she's spoiled. You need to take her back to bed. She just wants something. So after a strep infection, it got noticeably worse with a handful of other symptoms. 
after tons of research, I figured out what she had. But getting anyone to first believe me mm. and second treat her was impossible. It ended up that my daughter had PANDAS, and that stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Strep Infection. <laughs> wow. Like they needed an acronym for this because it's Holy huge. Shit. It's huge. And how common? It, sorry to interrupt you, but how sure, is this sure. a very common thing among kids? So the medical community will tell you it's not. But okay. at the time, I joined a Facebook group and there were 17,000 parents on there looking for help. Oh. And I believe that there are tons of children that are currently being institutionalized with this and they have been misdiagnosed with something else when it's in fact caused by strep. Basically, what happens is when these kids come into contact with strep, their immune system starts attacking their body, specifically their brain. And this isn't completely outrageous, as we know that you can get rheumatic fever after an infection with strep because the body can misidentify heart tissue as strep. Okay. I ended up taking her to doctor after doctor, and what she had was misdiagnosed as seizures, blood sugar issues, and I was still hearing that she was spoiled. I can't believe that was the answer. She's spoiled. You need to stop spoiling her. That's it. And it's like they're giving these parents nowhere to turn. Mm. They have nowhere to turn. And fast forward several specialists later, and we ended up at Children's Hospital in D.C. in the Infectious Disease Clinic, where they told me that this is one of the best children's hospitals. Right. And they told me that pandas doesn't exist. However, there are many good locations where I can institutionalize my daughter. Holy and, shit. And it hit me like how many parents have been told this. And how could it be that one of the best children's hospitals couldn't even help me? So finally, months after the worst had begun, I found someone that would listen and he gave her all the tests she needed. My daughter ended up that she not only had strep, she was also infected with Lyme and mycoplasma. So basically, it had caused her immune system to go crazy. So from around January 2019 until November, we basically lived a nightmare. And at the end of that, I was diagnosed with PTSD. It was, I couldn't handle screaming anymore. Oh, of course. It was, and loud noises. I couldn't. Can I just ask you, when you sure. say strep, you're talking about strep throat, right? Is strep that what you're throat? Yeah, okay. Strep throat. However, those kids are so sensitive to strep that they're strep in yogurt. And so if my daughter has a yogurt at school, yeah. she'll have an episode by that night or the next day she will have an episode. Holy shit. And there are also some umbrella disorders, like one is called PANS. Mm -hmm. And with PANS, you can get very similar symptoms if you come into contact with a mold, for example. Okay. Wow. So the medical system had seriously failed us in yeah. several ways. So why do I think the medical system is broken? So let me ask you a question. So when mm. was the last time you went in to see your doctor and left with a health issue resolved? <laughs> I don't, never. It's never <laughs> happened. If it's not an infection, 
mm-hmm. or a broken bone, you're not leaving there with a resolution. Yeah, because the infection, oh, here's a script. Just Let's yep. just give you some pills. There you go. Go on your way. You're yep. done. I've got my quota for the day or for the week or whatever it is. And see you later. I'm getting paid and you can just keep taking these meds, right? It's unbelievable. And our medical system is good at one thing and it's trauma. Yeah. However, we have very few cures for any ailments. Our Mm -hmm. medical system revolves around symptom prevention, where the drugs that are used cause a host of side effects, which require additional drugs, which turn into a never-ending cycle of side effects and drugs. That blows my mind. When I see commercials on TV for new medications that are coming on the market, the list of side effects is fucking mind-blowing. It's like, why would think this can cause brain injury? This can cause possibly death why would any like what the and i understand that of course big pharma has to cover their ass by saying these things just so that they're not held liable but then again big pharma is a whole other fucking issue it's completely different thing yeah like that's a a whole episode in itself right because they create these drugs or bring these drugs to market and they may get sued for them but the money they make from the fucking drug more than covers the legal fees that they have to deal with. And so they just keep on producing these drugs that cause further problems. It's it's cyclical. There's no end. There's no end. And the crazy part is people are asking for this. They're asking for it and they're yeah. delivering. And so I do think that like the regulatory bodies, the drug companies, they do get most of the bad rap. It's not completely unfounded, but I do think that fixing it starts in the medical schools and the training of new physicians and what to look for, what to accept, giving the patients more time. And the number one thing is believing them because chances are that they know what's wrong with themselves or their kids. Yeah. In your case, it's funny. I had an interview with a woman and she's a fertility expert and we were talking about how or infertility expert, sorry. And we were talking about how, like you just said, the problem starts with training the staff. Like if the staff aren't trained on how to deal with these things, how are they supposed to help the patients? You're just sending patients home. Here you go. In particular, she was talking about how she had three miscarriages and they don't know how to deal with that. They just say, here's a, a pamphlet, here's whatever it is. And send you on your way. If they were properly educated and taught how to deal with these issues as nurses, as doctors, that would then in turn, of course, help the patients and they yes. would not go home feeling hopeless just as you did. And I'm not comparing the two, of course, they're no, very no, different, no, no. but you get sent home and you're helpless. Come on, I need some fucking help here. You do. And it's almost like they've gotten desensitized because I've seen a lack of bedside manner. Oh, um, yes. And I think that goes with what you just mentioned. You can't send a patient home like that without anything after telling them bad news. Yeah. They need to know how to cope with and deal with. They need alternative solutions, right? Yes. And again, that's another episode with mental (laughs) health. Oh, yes. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It is. Now, I'm very intrigued and curious to know, Val, with you being trained in and having your scientific brain, how did you stumble into the world of the Reiki healing modality? When I think of science, these healing modalities like Reiki, etc., <laughs> they obviously do not come to mind immediately. So how did no. this all unfold for you? 
When I was little, I did used to intuitively try to heal others. And then I guess I just stopped. I grew up. I forgot about it. However, what got me started on this path recently is when we were going through the pandas issue with my daughter. So she ended up having a scan that I had requested. And they found out she also had a syrinx, which is another rare disease. And that's a bubble in her spinal column and it's filled with spinal fluid Okay, and it was causing her to feel like she was being shocked. However, we were told by the doctors, we found a syrinx. However, it's too small to cause any symptoms and they didn't believe that those symptoms or that the syrinx could cause my daughter pain. And I'm like, she's saying she's getting shocked. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what? <laughs> it sounds like something hitting my spinal column to me. Yeah. So I ended up taking her to an energy healer. And after two sessions, it stopped. It completely stopped. <laughs> she had been telling us that her body was zapping her since she first started talking. And after wow. So how long did that two, go on for? It was going on for four years, five years. Jesus. And she would just start screaming. And I think that the big thing was she had two things going on. She had the syrinx pain. She had the pandas. And what was happening with the syrinx is she was so scared that the pain was starting that she was getting panic attacks. And so when I would show physicians videos of this, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't know what was happening. Is she having a panic attack? Is she having a seizure? They had no clue. And I think that's what's hard is when they don't spend enough time with you, there's not enough effort put into pulling out if it's more than one thing. That speaks to a whole other issue now that we're talking about with the medical (laughs) systems where it's now become this fast food drive-through form of patients, like seeing their patients because they're given – you have this amount of time. I'll use an example. I interviewed a woman who is a doctor, a physician, a GP in the UK. And she's the one who said it's like it's become this McDonald's drive-through form That's of treating patients because yes. you're, they're given 15 minutes to spend the time with your patient. That's it. You have 15 minutes. And she said to me, she said, how in the hell can we possibly diagnose and provide solution or treatment for a patient in a 15-minute time window? She got so fed up with the profession, she left her practice and became a what she calls a lifestyle medicine mm-hmm. doctor. Because she said that there's no way to help people this way. And she said, I got into this profession to help people. And this is not what we're doing because it's all about this. It's all about the money and getting through as many people as you can to send off to the insurance company. It's really sad. Yes. It is. This is people's lives. Yeah, it is. And all of these physicians are getting into the practice to help people and then get jaded because of high insurance premiums. And there's so much, but that's a good way to put it. It is like a drive-through. Yeah. And that's horrible because this is people's lives, people's health, and you're treating it like it's a fucking fast food restaurant. Yes, It's ridiculous. It's so sad. It is. It's horrible. And so- I also know through conversations with you that you had some difficulty embracing other healing modalities because of your scientific brain. So how did you manage to overcome that hurdle and begin to trust in alternative healing modalities? Was Mm -hmm. there 
one specific occurrence or event that led you to shift your beliefs around it? There is. So a lot of us scientists are pretty hard-headed and we have to <laughs> we have to see it ourselves and able to finally overcome the hurdle when I saw evidence that I could no longer refute. So soon after my daughter got better, I noticed a post from a rescue that my husband and I had been working with on and off for a decade, Homeward Trails. They're based here in Virginia, and they needed a foster for a little Maltese mix Polly who had been hit by an ambulance in Puerto Rico and brought to the States by the rescue. So she was dragging her back leg, which the rescue informed me would need to be amputated, and her pelvis had been cracked in half. She was completely broken, and something inside me just told me that I had to foster her. So by that night that I saw her picture, she was at my house. (laughs) And (laughs) I can't help it with these dogs and... She was so pitiful and she would stay in a ball curled up most of the day. Whenever I took her out, I had to hold her up to use the bathroom because she couldn't stand. And I ended up being reduced to tears several times because I would accidentally touch her wrong and she would scream for minutes and just cry. And I didn't know what I did. And so per a friend's recommendation... That's when I finally tried healing her myself. She walked in and she's like, just heal the dog. And I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? I'm a scientist. (laughs) I had no clue what I was doing. But I started to remember how I used to try to heal my family growing up. And I sat there for 20 minutes every night with my hands on her wherever she was hurting and concentrating on repairing her bones and nerves. And she started to wait for me at the same time every single night and would lick me (laughs) while I was working on her. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) But I'm going to keep doing this. So within two weeks from when I started, she was running. She stopped. I mean, (laughs) she was running. I have video evidence of this. (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) So she stopped dragging her back leg. And within nine weeks of her entering my house, she was adopted out. The rescue couldn't believe it. They asked me to send a video. (laughs) They said, wait, you had Polly, right? And I was like, yeah, I had a little Polly. Her adopters later contacted me because they told me that Polly's veterinarian didn't believe that the x-rays belonged to her, the x-rays from before her accident. And he said that she should never have been able to jump again. And she was jumping on and off a chair or a bench or something in his office. So at this point, it was everything just became clear to me that my path had always been to be a healer. And I no longer had any doubt that there was something to these modalities. What an incredible gift. That must have blown your mind even. (laughs) And my husband was there and he saw it. And I was like, wait, did that really happen? It it changed our lives. How powerful. Jeez, that is absolutely incredible. And are you still in contact with the owners, with the adopters? I am. I'm still in contact with them. And every few months they sent me (laughs) pictures. So Polly's going to be a big sibling. And so (laughs) they're having a child. So I just keep... 
I would have kept her in a second, um, yeah. but my husband was pretty allergic to her. But it was a wonderful experience to get to foster her. That is fucking incredible. You healed this fucking dog more than any vet could have ever done. And honestly, the way Reiki practitioners view it is we essentially give their body instructions and they're healing themselves so we can heal ourselves. We don't need anybody to do it, but it's that push. It's those instructions to do it, but it it was amazing to watch. That is absolutely mind-blowing and incredible. I love it. (laughs) So how long have you been doing this healing work now that you're doing? So I've been doing Reiki on both people and animals for over three years and working as a patient advocate where I'm finally board certified. I'm now board certified. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. For over 15 years, I've been doing patient advocacy work. As we mentioned off the top, you are the creator of Molecular Reiki. Can you explain to us what exactly Molecular Reiki is and how you came up with or what inspired the birthing of this? So with traditional Reiki, healing energy or light is sent to the body and the body sends the healing where it's needed. Instead of doing this, I realized that when I was doing Reiki, I was using science to inform the body with instructions. So I was telling it to produce proteins or white blood cells, telling it how and where to build muscle or in Polly's case, how to repair nerve damage. And unintentionally, I created molecular Reiki. So with every patient, I now create a script or set of instructions that takes me hours of research. And the script is what I use to help people heal. And the feedback's been incredible. And I truly feel that focusing energy is what makes molecular Reiki so effective. And I also love the fact that I can use everything that I've learned in science to do it. Combining the two. Yes. And I kept asking my teacher, what are you thinking about? And she's, I'm just thinking about sending light. And that's not what I'm thinking about. (laughs) So the feedback's been incredible. And I love that I can use my background to do it. And I'm curious then, how is this combination or the addition of the healing modality of Reiki received by your peers? other scientists and like the vet and people, how is that received? They cannot refute, like that vet cannot refute that the dog was healed. You just cannot. How has it been received? So I I actually didn't get a chance to talk to the vet, but I've been really surprised how well it's been received. It took me a while to come out with this and Mm -hmm. tell my peers that this is what I was into, but I was really surprised to find out how many of them actually go and get Reiki Ah, done on them and how many of them do believe it. So I actually think that a lot of things are changing now Mm -hmm. and people are more receptive to this type of healing. Amazing. And that's beautiful. I think that's incredible and powerful. That shift is happening and people are starting to accept it because as we know, it's people because, oh, you're crazy. That's woo. That's bullshit. No way is this possible. But you just cannot refute it. With Polly's case in particular, there is no refuting. The x-rays show that the dog is healed, period. That's yes. it. 
and even I had a, a client that their son was in a very bad accident. Mm. And after surgery, I was sending him during surgery and after surgery, I would send him healing. And the mother, she wasn't telling the physicians, but she would message me every time they told me they don't know how he's healing so fast. <laughs> and so it's almost like our little secret, but it's, it's just amazing. I think it's great to see that it's being accepted more widely. There's still going to be people who just don't believe and are against it. But you're seeing it, I think, in terms of where you're seeing the more, we'll call it healing modalities, teaming mm -hmm. up with Western medicine doctors where they share clinic space, where Reiki is being offered and all these different modalities along with the Western medicine doctors, yes. which is great to see. Because you, regardless, we cannot deny that we still need the Western medicine doctors. That's still a necessity. Yes, we to do. To some and degree. Yes. And I do think that Eastern and Western can work together. Yeah. And I think that they would be so powerful together. And things are already starting up. There are several hospitals even in the D.C. area that are starting alternative medicine wings. And that is they awesome. have Reiki practitioners or essential oil, nurses with essential oil experience that go around yeah. helping patients. So it's Which is starting. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's, start it's, it's still got a long way to go, but at least the wheels have started turning for the change, which is amazing because that can only improve and provide better patient experience, yes, which so is what it's all about, right? Absolutely. And I found that alternative medicine practitioners, we do spend more time with our patients. Yeah. And that is 50% of what they need. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Val? What drives me is the fact that Eastern and Western medicine are not mutually exclusive. And I feel since I've been so surrounded by both for so long that I can see where they can meld together. Yeah. So for example, the type of lighting, they found out that green light is conducive to healing. A type of music at certain frequencies can be helpful. So I'm actually putting together a course on that information because I want to teach other practitioners that there's more than just the healing aspect. Everything in your room could be dedicated to helping somebody heal. Wow. And that's what motivates me is tying these loose ends that I see. I love it. Being trained as a scientist and energy healer as well, can you speak a bit about how you incorporate both of these modalities or trainings into your work with your clients? <laughs> So depending on the disease, since it takes me on average four to six hours of research to come up with healing for a patient, I use that during the actual molecular Reiki session and I combine it with what I had previously mentioned, the lighting, the rituals, the atmosphere, and that's how I'm able to incorporate everything. I love it. What lights you up or excites you the most about the work that you're doing? 
So that's a good question. What excites me the most is working with clients who've never experienced energy work and then hearing their experience after the session. I remember giving Reiki to a client that Mm. his shoulder was hurting and I asked him to meditate and get into his space and I'm doing Reiki on him. And as soon as I was done and he was a (laughs) non-believer, he turned to me and he goes, what the fuck did you just do to me? And I was like, I was like, wait, did it feel good? You know? But those types of reactions are really exciting. And we don't get it every day because yeah. those are the people that tend not to come to us to try it out. Now, on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do? One of the most challenging elements is, number one, my fear of how someone's going to receive it if they're not into it. For example, my peers in the workplace. And secondly is the people that don't want to try it. And I think it's due to a variety of reasons. Either they don't want ridicule from their peers or they're scared that it might actually work and that'll go against their whole view of how the world works. And it's very uncomfortable for people to sit in that, in that uncomfort. But it blows my mind. Would you rather stay sick or stay hurt? Or does it make, that's counterintuitive. What the fuck have you got to lose? Try it. If it doesn't work, you don't have to tell anyone that you went for it. If you feel that strongly about it, fuck, just try it. You have nothing to lose. No, nothing to lose. But I find that those clients tend to come to us when it's the last resort. And that's when they see that it works. And you just want to say, see you fucker. You should have listened to me from the beginning. You wouldn't have been suffering for so long. (laughs) But I have to say that is the biggest challenge. Yeah. Can you try it? Just open your mind just a little bit, please. (laughs) Yes. I can help you. (laughs) Yes. You say that it's your mission to bring this modified version, as we've been talking about, of healing that combines Western with Eastern, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. But you say you think we will be soon. Why do you feel this is your mission and why do you feel or believe so strongly that the two worlds will be merging more commonly? So for why, I just see it happening. There's a huge shift going on right now, and I see it accelerating. And as to your question with accomplishing my mission, I fully believe that it'll naturally unfold. I have to stay open to opportunities, and I see them naturally coming my way. So after six years of living this way, I fully believe that by living my purpose, the mission will naturally be accomplished. I am not going to make those other (laughs) mistakes again by, by veering off my path. So I just do what I do, and things just come to me. I've gotten business partners and clients and it's all through serendipity. This just happens. It's just meant to happen. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love it. I believe in it. And it's hard to see it sometimes because there are a lot of stubborn people out there who just will not accept it. But I guess you just have to keep the faith, keep the belief and keep shining the light out into the world and doing the work. And it will eventually bring those in that are meant to be there and And it will spread. That's absolutely it. Cause the energy that you put out, you receive Yeah, whatever you put out, the universe gives you. So I always tell my kids 
that the universe says as you wish. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you put, you'll get back. I believe that's the same with our purpose. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Val? My superpower is that I can place myself in other people's shoes. It is very natural to me to know what someone needs and what they've been going through. So even when we're getting ready to do a, a Reiki session, I'll know what points to hit, for example, that they might not even know. They might not realize where they're carrying their stress. So I believe that's my superpower. That's the end. It's a skill set too, because not a lot of people can put themselves in other people's shoes. So <laughs> that is definitely a superpower and a skill set. Now, speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Success to me means that you are living your life in a way to stay happy. If I believe if I'm happy, I've been successful. And I think that one of the things that's really hard in the world we're living in now is that with the commercials and the TikToks and everything, people have too many wants. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way to get that is to minimize the number of wants. If you have no wants, then you are truly happy in how you're living now. And that is how I define success is how happy am I right now? Are all my wants fulfilled? What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? The most important thing I've learned is that a little bit of what we touched upon previously, your purpose isn't always what you think it is. However, it'll always be something that you love and are interested in. And my life, like I mentioned before learning it, it was tough. It was very tough. And there were tons of blockages and obstacles. But now I feel that everything comes very easy. Excellent. And that's how you know you're on the right path. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> what would you say is one of your biggest failures, or we'll use the word life lessons or teachable moments, and what did you learn from it? So I felt that by not having started on this path sooner was my biggest failure. I was like, I was thinking to myself, how could I have wasted so many years studying things that had nothing to do <laughs> with what my purpose was? How could I have wasted so much time? But I've learned that things always happen as it should, because like I've said, like now I'm using science in my purpose. So I was pushed to do something that I ended up needing. My biggest failure ended up being my biggest accomplishment. Yeah. These these roadblocks or perceived roadblocks or hurdles were all part of your journey. It's part of how you got to where you are. We need to go through them, right? To get yes. to where we need mm -hmm. to be. And it all helps shape us. It does. And, and that's a good point you brought up. Everything is a learning experience and we need all of it. We, there we are no failures. There are lessons. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. Everything is put in our path for a reason to help get us to where we need to be. And we have to learn, I think, to find the silver lining in every situation because there is, I don't care what anybody says, in every experience, situation we go through in our lives, there 
is a silver lining there. You just have to find it and you have to look for it and find it, but it's there. That's a hundred percent true. Yes. You can look at something as terrible as COVID. Yeah. And it was a catalyst for a lot of good change as well, but you do have to look for it. For sure. I think there was more good that came out of COVID than bad. And that's not to minimize all of the loss that people experience, whether that have been financial, life loss, loved ones, all of those things. But I still think the good far outweighs the bad of that whole situation because there was so much goodness birthed out of that three years of seemed hell that we all went through on a global scale. Yes, I completely believe that. Yes. Val, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I would have to say that my parents have had the biggest impact on me by pushing me to become the best version of myself, number one, and number two, by teaching me compassion for everyone. Everyone, they were, from when I was little, they were teaching me how I can't judge everybody's situation the same and just showing me different ways to view different things. So they by far had the biggest impact on me. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think an unexpected blessing, honestly, was not succeeding in securing a better job in computer science when I originally (laughs) graduated, because I can't imagine what I would be doing now and that I would actually be super happy. It would have taken me in a completely different direction and I could have been happy, but not as happy as I am today. And so how has your life been different then from what you'd imagined it to be? That's a good question. So like I mentioned with wants. I grew up not really wanting anything. And I was happy with whatever job I got and whatever came my way. However, now I have major wants and I want to change the healthcare field. And I have a huge dream of starting a wellness center that truly encompasses the science and the medical metaphysical fields. That is a beautiful vision and goal for sure. It's been very different. If you asked me when I was 17, 18, what I imagined for my life, it it definitely was not starting a wellness center. (laughs) (laughs) Which is often what happens, right? We never picture ourselves in the position, not usually anyways, we don't picture it. Like I never in a million years thought I would be hosting a podcast that- right. lifts and and amplifies women's voices. And here I am. This is what I'm doing. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is why I was put here on this planet. This is my mission. This is my purpose here on earth. Yes. And I never in a million years ever would have even, the thought never would have even entered my mind that this is what I would be doing. And and it's so incredible, like where our paths take us. Yeah, it is. And I love hearing everyone's story because it's usually crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Val, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means having the confidence to be your true self. So showing your face to the world without hiding anything. No um, mask. That's what, yep. That's, yes, that's right. No mask. That's what empowerment means to me. Love that. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing, okay? Yes. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? If I could teach the world one thing, it would be that we're all one. And by helping others, we're therefore helping ourselves. 
How would you describe yourself in one word? I would describe myself as a student because life is all about learning. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Something I want but can't buy with money would be a better memory. I have a (laughs) terrible memory. (laughs) If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? It would be How to Let Your Path Unfold. What is your favorite self-care practice? It is having spa days with my friends, taking the time to do something that's just for you. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I've been told that I create a safe place for people to be able to tell me anything that they need. And that's something that I love about myself. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What's something you learned growing up that is apparently no longer true? That's a good question. I learned that science is not as concrete as we would like to think. (laughs) Wow. And as scientists, it is our duty to know and understand that it's not as concrete as we're being taught. And I think that if all scientists had that viewpoint, they would be more open to more things. Very interesting take on that. I like that. What's one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? My career has taught me how to find out if the information I'm reading is from an appropriate and trustworthy source. And I think that a lot of people have trouble with that and it should have been taught in schools, like in high school. And it's also taught me to read and pick apart scientific papers to determine if their methods and rationales are valid. So you, you can't just trust anything at face value. And that's something that my career's taught me. That's what the news media does, legacy media. (laughs) What we're telling you is true. And, you know, I think part of it is laziness on the people's parts, on the viewers' parts, because they don't want to do the research themselves. They just want to be spoon-fed and they'll believe whatever it is they're told. And that's it. And I think that speaks to as well. I think these authoritative figures that we've been conditioned to believe and trust, like doctors say, doctors know what they're talking about. So you believe everything they tell you. That's not the case. They don't know everything. They're human beings. They can't know everything. It's not. And you bring up a really good point because there have been several occasions where the doctors have given the wrong diagnosis to the wrong patient and the wrong patient, for example, this, this there's this one famous case with cancer. A physician was supposed to call two people, one to tell him he had cancer and one to tell him he didn't. He called the wrong person and the person without cancer died of cancer. Because he put and, it into his mind. Yep. And that shows yep. you how powerful the mind is too. It is so powerful and we can make ourselves believe anything. Yes. Which then in, on the flip side of that, we can heal ourselves. We have the powers within us to heal ourselves, which <laughs> goes do. back full circle to where we started. And your daughter's case is a prime example. She's spoiled. <laughs> what the fuck kind of answer is that? No, completely useless. Unbelievable. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? Something surprising that I've learned is just the amount of patience that physicians need to have and have had when dealing with clients. And I found that I do have that patience and 
it's amazing how people can sense that when they feel they can come to you and talk to you about anything that they need. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career, would you say? Maybe being an introvert, honestly. I don't know if this goes with being an introvert, but I tend to be quiet and I tend not to talk about others. And so I believe that people come to me with things that they can confide in me with. And I think that in this field, you really need that. My dad always told me growing up, keep your own counsel, keep your nose clean, don't talk about other people. (laughs) And that's it. Like that, that will serve you so well. It does. And people will open themselves up and they'll tell you more than they told their physicians. So maybe that's why we're better Mm. able to help them. But it does serve well in this field. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, this one was easy. (laughs) (laughs) This question's easy. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because she was such an advocate for gender equality and women's rights. And she just had my heart, that lady. So I would have loved to have a, a conversation with her. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I would go back and give my younger self the advice that the best path, the one leading to my purpose doesn't have to be difficult. Roadblocks are put into place to steer you in the right direction and not to prove to yourself that you earned it. I you love need to that. take ego out of the equation. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's a beautiful analogy. I love it. Lastly, Val, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, What would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? My words of wisdom would be to not try so hard to get to a final destination, whether it's with a job you want or something you want to own, but just get there naturally and things will come the way that they're meant to. I think that People try to manipulate the time they have on this world too much. And when it was going to be coming to them anyways, they just need to be patient and take things as they come. Beautiful. Val, thank you so much for being here with me today, for sharing your journey, the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you're doing. You are an incredibly inspirational woman, and I am so grateful to be connected to you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. I've enjoyed every moment of our chat. And I always enjoy speaking with you, Val. It's always a pleasure. And it's always insightful, inspirational, educational, all of the things. So thank you for being here with me today. I appreciate you. And thank you for having me, Brad. You've been amazing. It is my pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Val Hughes. She is a multidisciplinary scientist, a Reiki master, and the creator of Molecular Reiki. Val, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.